Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. It's Tuesday, October 3rd, and I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Today, I have two experts to talk with us about studies that they've recently done on Florida education. One is Matt Chingos, who has looked at the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program for the Urban Institute. Then we talked to Gary Orfield, a longtime researcher in the area of school segregation, and he has taken a look for the Collins Institute at Florida State University about Florida's school segregation issues. And he has found that in some areas we have gone back to what he would call apartheid type schools, where you have kids who don't really see anybody who doesn't look just like them. So we're going to start off with Matt Chingos, and then we're going to head to Gary Orfield. Let's take a listen. I really appreciate you talking with me. Uh, Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, happy to do it. I'm really interested in your your findings on Florida tax credit scholarships because obviously they're being given a lot of attention because of the president's philosophy on educational choice. So could you first just walk us through what you found and why you decided to look? Well, for a long time, the evidence on private school choice suggested the effects were sort of neutral to positive. But then over the last year, year and a half or so, we started getting findings out of these new big statewide programs in places like Louisiana, Indiana, Ohio, that suggested that participating in a private school choice program actually has a negative impact on test scores, that it lowers student achievement, especially in the first couple of years in the program. Um, so we wanted to look longer term and look at a statewide program uh, that's been in place for a while and see whether students who participated were more likely to go to college and more likely to graduate from college. Um, and Florida, as you know, is, is the, the biggest private school choice program in the country, the tax credit scholarship program. So that's why we're interested to take a look. And, and you found that students who attend the private schools with the scholarships have more of a likelihood of going to college, right? That's right. We found that students who participated at some point in the tax credit scholarship program were about six percentage points, that's about a 15% increase, more likely to enroll at college at some point uh, at a Florida public college within two years of when we would have expected them to graduate from high school, compared to a group of kids who uh, went to the same public schools before these uh, scholarship students went to the private schools, were in the same grades, had similar test scores, demographics. They, they looked the same on everything, except one participated, one didn't. And it seemed to increase college enrollment, uh, especially at community colleges. Enrollment, but what about uh, completion. So the effects were less strong on completion. We did find some positive effects here and there, um, but they weren't as consistent um, and they weren't as large. So is that something to make us be a little leery of the actual impact? Well, I, I think it's open to interpretation. I mean, community colleges, um, or in Florida, they're called Florida State Colleges, just in general don't have very high graduation rates. Um, students do a lot of things at community colleges before go for an associate degree. That's what we were looking at. People can go on and transfer to a four-year school. Um, not enough time has passed to really take a serious look at bachelor's degree attainment uh, yet. 
Um, and of course, we don't know if you go to community college for a couple semesters or a year and you don't graduate, that could still have some benefits to you in terms in, in the labor market. So I think right now it's, it's it's a little early to tell. It's true that we you know we, we should know uh, think about what it means, um, but I think it's too early to tell. I wonder about the students who take the scholarships and go to a private school versus their like peers in the public schools, because it seems like those who take an active involvement in their education would naturally go to college anyway. Did that come into your um, evaluation process? Uh, right. So that, that's absolutely correct. And ideally, you'd have a randomized experiment where people sign up for a lottery, some get it, some don't. They're all equally motivated. So that's a concern that we can't completely eliminate. Um, but one thing we do do is we look at what's the relationship with college going of participating for different numbers of years in the scholarship program. So we think that students who go and only participate for one year, they were still motivated to sign up. It just didn't work out for them. And we find no effect of really of participating for just one year. Um, so that suggests that maybe there isn't that much of this motivation effect that we're not capturing. Um, but if you participated for two years, there was more of an effect. Three years, even more effect. And four or more years was the largest effect. So if it was just a story about motivation, um, you wouldn't expect to see that same relationship with the number of years that you were in the program. So then are you thinking that participating in the program has true positive benefits? I mean, I, I think the evidence suggests that, that it does, um, especially for those for whom it's working, who decide to stay in the program, right? I mean, the thing about a school choice program is you're making a choice, and you're not stuck with that choice forever. Um, so we find the, the, the most positive results, including positive results on um, associate degree attainment and in some cases enrollment in four-year universities in addition to private colleges, uh, community colleges rather, for those who participate for, for three or four or more years. Um, now, that doesn't mean the other kids would get that same benefit if they stayed for four years, but it means that if it's working for you, you decide to stay, to stay around, it appears that it does have a, have a pretty positive effect. The, the Collins Institute at FSU just issued a report and it talked about increasing segregation in the schools. Do you see that the tax credit scholarship impacts that in any way, shape, or form? Um, so we didn't look at the effect on segregation specifically. We did look at how the effect varies for different subgroups of students. And if, for example, you were worried that it was putting certain groups of students, whether they're white students or students of color, into more segregated environments that weren't as good for them, you might expect that some groups would benefit more than others. And in general, we didn't find that. The only sort of difference we found was that students who were born outside the country had more of a positive effect than students who were born in the U.S., although both effects were positive. But other than that, we found pretty similar effects for African-American students, for Latino students, uh, for white students. So is this something that you're using then to recommend anything to anyone? Well, I don't think you can necessarily make specific recommendations based on one study. I think you want to look at the weight of the evidence. Um, and I think this study is an important contribution because it takes a look at one of these statewide programs for the first time using these longer-term outcomes. So if before you saw this study, you thought that you looked at the test score evidence and you were worried, oh, maybe these programs are hurting people, I think this says, no, well, at least the Florida's program, a pretty big program, can produce, if you want to be pessimistic about it and look look at the you know graduation results in the worst light, you could say it produces no difference. Or if you want to look at the effects on enrollment, the effects for kids who participate for more years and say it has a pretty positive effect, and that's a pretty different conclusion than that it, that it hurts test scores.
Well, the test scores and the graduation rates, they're not always the same thing for, for a variety of reasons. I, I, I don't know how you choose one versus the other if you're trying to make some sort of comparison. They seem like you'd look, need to look at them all, right? Absolutely. Um, but the thing to keep in mind is we don't have that much test score evidence from the Florida program. So there's a little bit of evidence based on these norm reference tests, which aren't the same, so it's very limited evidence. But my understanding is it shows sort of neutral to small positive effects of the uh, tax credit scholarship program. So to be clear, this Florida isn't a state where we had these big negative impacts on um, test scores. Those were in other states that led people to be skeptical about these programs in, in general. So I think we should continue to be concerned about places like Louisiana and Indiana, continue to follow them, see do those negative impacts on test scores um, sort of persist into negative impacts on high school graduation and college enrollment, whereas Florida seems to be a different story. What is the next question then that you ask to make sure that you are getting the best picture and providing it to Florida about whether this program is succeeding where it hopes to succeed? Well, I think I want to continue to follow these students, see what happens to them beyond going to a two-year college. You know, do they are more likely to transfer to four-year schools? What a bachelor's degree attainment look like in the long run? What are their earnings look like in the labor market? And then I'd also like to see if I can get access to more comprehensive data, because our data only looked at enrollment in Florida public colleges. Now, 80% of people go to a, uh, an in-state public college from Florida, among those who, who go to college at all. Um, but we have some reasons to believe from national data that kids from private schools, especially private high schools, are more likely to go to private colleges. So this study could actually be missing some of the potential benefits of this program, because we don't observe enrollment in private colleges, and we don't observe enrollment in out-of-state colleges. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. That's our interview with Matt Chingos. Now, again, let's turn to Gary Orfield and his talking about his research on school segregation in Florida. Hello. Hi. Are, how are you? <laughs> thank you, Dr. Orfield, for agreeing to talk with me. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm very glad to. I thought the report was of interest and certainly has important issues for Florida. Yeah, I was interested in why you decided to examine Florida's situation in the first place. Well, we have been doing many state studies. I think we've done 13, 14. And this was an invitation from the Collins Center up there at FSU. Um, They wanted to do it to celebrate an anniversary. And so we were glad to work with them. And you found increasing segregation in so many places. Did that surprise you at all? No, it's going on all over the country. I mean, it's one of the huge issues that everybody is going to say, how did how did the country let this happen sometime in the future? But right now, people are not focusing on it and not really thinking through the consequences of uh, increasingly rigid separation as we become you know, a society without any racial majority. So what are some of the reasons? Is it partially because of the the school choice and a lot of people moving away from public schools or just regular segregation of neighborhoods, or, or what is it? We don't see a lot of people moving away from public schools. Um, there's only, you know, 11% of the kids in Florida are in private schools. And... Overall, nationally, you know, our private school enrollment is much lower than it was a half century ago. Um, so we don't see that. What we do see is a movement um, 
into charter schools, um, which, you know, call themselves public schools, although they're privately owned and operated lots of times. Um, but they are publicly funded and they're accountable um, in some ways to public um, policy rules. Um, so what we see is two things, basically. It's a combination of major demographic change, because you see, you know, all virtually quadrupling of the Latino share of the of the Florida population since the 19th, early 1970s. Um, that's huge. Across the country, we're basically seeing whites being replaced by Latinos, and in some places by Asians. As the as the cohorts, generational cohorts develop, it's a reflection of what happened with the immigration reform in the '60s and um, tremendous decline in white birth rate. You know, people say, Where, "What happened to the white kids?" And I have to always explain they weren't born. Oh wow, that's <laughs> that's a big problem. <laughs> you know, it's not flight; it's it's procreation. So we have a very, you know, well below the replacement rate in terms of of um, average family size for white families now. So that's a big driver. You add a, a collapse of the of white birth rate with a huge immigration of non-whites, and you get a change. You can, when there's fewer whites, you can have fewer whites in an integrated school if nothing else changes. But the other thing, the other big thing that happened was that the Supreme Court basically directed the ending of desegregation orders back in 1991, and in the next decade or so, almost all the major desegregation orders were dissolved, and that produced a sharp increase of segregation. So you add those two things together, and you get a massive transformation of the society, and basically a throwing away of the tool that we had to overcome those segregation effects. So then what we're seeing is some kids who almost never see anyone who doesn't look like them. Exactly. Those apartheid schools that we talk about are schools that are almost absolutely isolated. If you had a law that required racial segregation, that would only change them by one or less, one percent or less. So we're that close to, you know, kind of pre-Brown or South African levels of segregation. And is there anything that we can do to repair that? Because obviously, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense to n never know anybody who's not like you. <laughs> no, it's, it's really, really harmful given the, what the workplaces and the colleges are going to look like. Um, and in terms of our politics, it means... People are making decisions based on fear rather than knowledge. Um, you know, they haven't interacted with people. It's much easier to maintain stereotypes about people you don't know. In integrated settings, as people discover that there's tremendous variation within each race and none of the stereotypes can be applied to people with any reliability. So what we recommend, you know, there's the whole uh, set of recommendations at the end of the report. Have you looked at the recommendations section? Well, look at the end. We suggest a number of things that can be done in terms of changing the choice plans. We're saying, you know, that basically um, we should have good magnet schools of the sort that were much more conscious about integration and that worked very well in places like Tampa and, and 
St. Petersburg and many other of the districts around Florida. I visited a number of them during way back during the desegregation era, and you know they they worked pretty well. Um, there was an initial uproar, but then things calmed down, and there was substantial desegregation for a quarter century before we began to dissolve it all. Um, you can do that with magnet schools that are good and that have conscious policies to be diverse. You you have to there the policies have to be a little more complicated than they were in the past because there was a Supreme Court decision called Parents Involved that that says you can't assign any student on the basis just of their race. But you can consider neighborhoods and their racial composition. And you can use many other variables like language and so forth that would produce a lot of diversity. Um, we're saying that every time there's a choice plan, whether it's for vouchers or for charters, there should be civil rights requirements connected to it. And that should include good information for parents from all groups, you know, in all relevant languages, uh, welcoming of kids from all the different groups, reaching out, um, providing transportation to the schools of choice so that you just you don't have a choice that's only based on your neighborhood. So when you have neighborhood schools, basically blacks and Latinos end up in very highly impoverished schools that are inferior in lots of respects, and whites and Asians tend to end up in middle-class schools that are functioning at a much higher level and tend to have better faculties. I have a question about the magnet school concept because a lot of times you see that they bring people together but only as far as they get to the door and then once they walk in and maybe this is what you're talking about they they're separated still. Well you, you know there's two levels of this one is getting in the door and the other is getting in the classroom and being treated decently and they are both complicated but you have to do them both because I, as I always say, the, the virtues of desegregation, which are considerable, don't pass through walls. <laughs> you know, you have to think about these things, and you have to think about faculty integration because that makes a diverse school function much better. One of the things we're finding, and we certainly see it in Florida, is that there's a lot of schools where there's two disadvantaged groups, blacks and Latinos, together. And that doesn't work out automatically either. You have to think about the race relations between those two groups. That's very true. I know when I lived in Miami, I would see from time to time some of the distinctions between the Hispanic groups, the white groups, and the black groups. And, and there was just sometimes the chance for bad things to happen just as well as good things. Right. And even within these groups, like Latinos from Venezuela aren't the same as Latinos from from Mexico or Puerto Rico, and uh, blacks from Haiti aren't the same as blacks from traditional southern areas. You have to think about these issues to make the things work well. It, but it's much worse just to let the you know the stereotypes fester. As Florida moves forward, then it has an opportunity to turn this around, or is it too far gone? Well, Florida has the special advantage of having countywide school systems, so they have much better choices than places that have you know, uh, 100 or 200 school districts within a metropolitan area, like you have in around the Chicago area or Cleveland or places like that. So that's a huge advantage in terms of thinking about this thing. You can do regional magnet schools within a county, that don't, and you don't have to negotiate across, you know, 30 different school districts to do it. Um, so 
you know, there is an there's an institutional framework in Florida that gives Florida a better chance. Are there any other thoughts that you have for people who are just you know casually observing the schools and and maybe don't don't even realize that this is happening? Well, the other thought I have is you know Florida has gone um, in a really deep dive into the accountability proposition. And that's been the dominant model of, especially of conservative educational reform now, ever since um, the Ronald Reagan's report in 1983, Nation at Risk. It hasn't worked. Punishing and branding and punishing schools that have lower test scores means you take the minority high poverty schools and you, you add to their, their inherent difficulties. Um, humiliation and threats and dissolution and so forth. That does not produce educational gains. It produces increasing inequality. And, you know, that whole model needs to be looked at and needs to be held accountable. We haven't had any accountability for the crazy accountability reforms that we've implemented. And they have very disproportionately punished um, black and Latino schools and, and their faculties. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to share with me. I'm going to make sure that I point everybody towards reading your report, and hopefully we'll have everybody can get us some more questions for you, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, it would be great if you could put a link in your article. I definitely will. Okay, good to talk to you. Same here. Thanks so much for your time. That's the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in these conversations, please visit uh, please visit our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. If you want to follow all of our breaking news on Florida education issues, please go to our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and thanks again for listening.